Welcome to the New to Jesus podcast, where we find foundational truths to help you take your first steps in your walk with Christ. Hey, welcome back to the New to Jesus podcast. This is Dan Bergman, and we're going to continue in John chapter 5. We've already seen Jesus's miracles, as well as his discussions with Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman. We've seen that he is the Word of God incarnate, God in human flesh, the Creator walking among men. We've seen him show his authority over the Sabbath and purposefully healing and having a man carry his bed on this day. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's greater than the temple. He can give us rest unto our souls. Here we find Jesus' response to the charges laid against him from the Jewish religious leaders. In verse 16, of John chapter 5. It says, And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus, and again, this is speaking of the Jewish religious leadership. Therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Meaning, my father has worked until now, and I also work. Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but it also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Now, we're about to see Jesus's power and authority through a structure known as a chiasm in verses 18 through 30. One of the many functions of a chiasm is to help the interpreter clearly see where the literary unit begins and where the unit is brought to a literary conclusion. That's a fancy way of saying the following paragraph. We're going to see a number of different things laid out in a way that is systematic and purposeful to help us understand more about Jesus. The literary unit, when analyzed, has the following structure. The sentence, either word by word or at the very least thought by thought, is repeated at the beginning and end of the literary unit, kind of like bookends, things that equal each other. It is as if the original author moves from A1 to B1, B1 to C1, C1 to D1, and then suddenly switches gears and moves backwards according to the exact same order, D2, C2, B2, A2. So it's kind of like a mountain going up to the peak and then going back down in the exact reverse. John chapter 5 verses 19 through 30 is structured as a clear-cut chiasm. Not only are thought-by-thought parallel repetitive structures present, This is a fancy way of saying John uses a literary structure to help us understand some amazing parallels about Jesus. Not only are the thought-by-thought parallel repetitive structures present, but my positive identification of it as a true chiasm is verified by clearly repetitive word-by-word occurrences as well. Let's take a look. Let's see what this says. John chapter 5, verse 19. It says, Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. Verse 19 is going to be parallel to verse 30. Verse 30, Jesus says, 
I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. This is the base of the mountain. We're about to go up the mountain, verse 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, and then verses 24 and 25, that's the peak of the mountain. That's what John wants his audience to focus on. And these things are parallel. For instance, verse 19 is going to parallel verse 30. Verses 20 and 21 is going to parallel verses 28 and 29. Verses 22 and 23 is going to parallel verse 26 and 27. It's kind of like going up to this mountaintop, the mountaintop of verse 24 and 25. It's kind of like a mirror. If you put a mirror right in the middle between verses 24 and 25, it's going to parallel these other verses before it and after it with each other. Then answered Jesus and saith unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. Jesus is speaking of the things that he does. The things that he does are specifically the Father's will. What he seeth the Father do, he doeth likewise. Verse 20, and this section, verse 20 and 21, is going to parallel with verses 28 and 29. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. It talks about the works of the Father. It talks about marveling because of what you see Jesus do. And then it also talks about raising people from the dead. Verse 28, again, Jesus uses the word marvel. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice, and shall come forth. And they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they'd have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. There was going to be a judgment, and that judgment is based upon your relationship with Jesus. And then in verses 22 and 23, Jesus says, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. You see, every single aspect of judgment that the Father has, God the Father has all authority to judge everything and everyone. And according to verse 22, he has chosen to give that authority, that judgment unto the Son. Verse 23, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Now keep in mind, Jesus is talking right now to a group of religious Jewish authority figures in Judea. And when he's saying all of this stuff about the Father, it is understood that he is speaking about Adonai. He is speaking about the God of the Jews, the God of Israel, the Creator, the God of the Tanakh, the God of the Jewish Bible. And Jesus is saying that this God, is his father, and that his father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. God the Father has chosen to give that authority 
to his son. And he says those that don't honor the son, they don't honor the father either. And he that honors the son honors the father that sent him. Verses 26 and 27, again, going down the mountain peak this time, verse 26, parallels verse 22. For as the father hath life in himself, so he hath given to the son to have life in himself. Back in John chapter 1, we talked about the idea of life and what that life is, to be connected to the life giver. The Bible says in verse number 26, For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given unto the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment, just exactly paralleling what we read in verse 22 and 23, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Now, we're kind of going back and forth, back and forth, from the bottom of the mountain to the other side of the bottom of the mountain, these parallels. Verse 19, paralleling with verse 30. Verses 20 and 21, paralleling with 28 and 29. Verses 22 and 23, paralleling or mirroring verses 26 and 27. And then we get to the peak. We get to the most important part of this entire passage. And that's the purpose of a chiasm, to help you focus on what the true emphasis is, the main point, the most important point of this whole entire passage, verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath right now everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verse 25, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Do you know when the resurrection of Jesus happened, there was dead people coming out of their graves in Jerusalem? It's recorded in the Word of God. I believe this is partially what Jesus is referencing here. But I want us to focus on verse 24 with the idea of you can never, ever, ever lose your salvation. Jesus says, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath right now everlasting life. In the present, everlasting life. And by the way, it's not everlasting if you could lose it. And then he says this, and shall not come into condemnation. People that believe you can lose your salvation are really calling Jesus a liar in this passage right here. Jesus says, anybody that believes, anybody that trusts me as their savior, they shall never, ever, ever come into condemnation. Well, if you can lose your salvation, then this is a lie right here. And this is not a lie. Jesus is saying, you will never be condemned, but you are passed from death unto life. You can't go back. It's forever. Once you're saved, you're always saved. So here to kind of wrap up and summarize what we just looked at. Through this brilliant literary creation, John first states and then essentially restates in reverse order the following three ideas. Number one, Jesus is utterly dependent and reliant on his Father. 
who acts only in accordance with his will. Secondly, the Father and the Son, equal measure, give life unto the dead. Because of the arrival of the Son, the hour of resurrection for the wicked and the righteous draws near. The Father has fully commissioned. Number three, the Father has fully commissioned the Son to rule and judge in his place. At this point, John makes us aware of the chiastic center, thereby, thereby showing the emphasis he meant to give this literary unit. In this text, the emphasis might be summarized as follows, and this is the fourth element of this chiasm. Number four, eternal life rests on one's response to the words of Jesus, believing he is the Son of God sent by the Father to bring victory over death and sin. Now, backing up to these passages here. Remember how I said verse 19 parallels verse 30. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. I can of my own self do nothing, verse 30, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. This is an amazing passage for us to understand. Here's a couple of things to keep in mind. Number one, there is one God. Deuteronomy 6.4, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He exists in a plurality in unity, a tri-unity. There's numerous passages, like Genesis 1.1. The word Elohim itself is plural. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Verse 26, he says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. As well as in Genesis chapter 18 and 19, we see God exist in a plurality of unity, a tri-unity, really. And also in Isaiah 48, 16. Number three, the Son always existed with the Father. Always. John 17, 5 tells us about this. He's the express image of the Father, we read in Hebrews 1, 3. The Word, who is God, became flesh, John 1, 14, as well as in Isaiah 7, 14 and 9, 6. Number six, the Father and the Son are one, John 10, 30. And then lastly, in Jesus dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, Colossians 2, 9. And the word Godhead there has the idea of deity. Now, why can the Son do nothing of himself? Well, the Son is not a separate deity. Jesus the man in human flesh does nothing apart from the Father. He does always the things that please the Father, John 8, 29. The Greek word for sees also has the idea of understands, communicating one with another. Just as our body doesn't operate separately from our brain, Jesus does not operate outside of the Father's will. This is why he says, I can of mine own self do nothing. He is 100% man, but also 100% God. This is hard for us to understand and grasp, but God is three in one. Like, for instance, I'm a father. I'm also a brother. And I'm also a son. 
or for instance, we exist as a body, soul, and spirit. Or you think of maybe like water exists in a solid form, ice, a liquid form, water, and a, and a gas form, steam. And so God is three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, not three separate gods, not three separate deities, three persons, one God. Now, in verses 20 and 21 and 28 and 29, we learn about the power that the Son has. Verse 20, for the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show greater works than these that ye may marvel. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. Verse 28, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So the Son has power to give life unto the dead, just as the Father does. And by the way, the Father loves the Son. There are three people, if you don't include Adam, that were brought back to life by the Father in the Old Testament. A widow's son in 1 Kings 17.22, the son of a Shunammite woman in 2 Kings 4, and an unnamed man in 2 Kings 13, verse 20 through 21. Jesus was raised from the dead by the Father, Romans 6.4 and Galatians 1.1. Jesus raised the widow's son from Nain in Luke chapter 7, Jairus' daughter in Mark chapter 5, and Lazarus in John chapter 11. Now, Verses 28 and 29 are speaking of the final resurrection. This happens after the millennium, Revelation 20, verse 5. This passage correlates strongly to Daniel 12, 1 and 2. The resurrection at the end of days. The unsaved have their resurrection too. It's called the second death, Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. And so those that have trusted in the God of Israel and his sacrificial lamb, the Messiah, for the sins of the world, will take part in the resurrection of the just. The resurrection of the unjust or the wicked will simply be so that they can be judged by Jesus and then cast into the lake of fire, as it says in Revelation 20 and verse 15. Verses 22 and 23, as well as 26 and 27, focus on the authority of the Son, For the Father judgeth no man, verse 22, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Verse 26, For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. This passage correlates strongly to Daniel chapter 7 as well as Psalm 2, which talk about the Son of Man, the Son of God, having authority. Here's a passage from Daniel chapter number 7 in verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, which is understood to be God the Father, the God of Israel. 
and they brought him near before him. So we see the Son of Man coming to the Ancient of Days in the clouds of heaven. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him, the Son of Man. In verse 14 of Daniel 7, His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which should not be destroyed. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. The Son of God, the Son of Man, given authority from the Ancient of Days, God the Father, to judge the world. Now, the last section that is in this chiasm is verses 24 and 25, which deals with our reaction to the Son. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. And so we have past, present, and future salvation spoken of in this verse. The idea of our past, it says that we're passed from death unto life. That's written in the past tense. And so when you trust Jesus as your Savior, you have been passed from death unto life. In the present, you have right now everlasting life. And in the future, you shall not come into condemnation. You see, before we're born again, we are dead in trespasses and sins, as it talks about in Ephesians 2 and Colossians 2. The dead spoken of in this passage is not only referring to the physically dead in the first resurrection, but also the spiritually dead, the lost individual who becomes spiritually alive when he is born again. And then in verses 31 through 47 of John chapter 5, we see Jesus' witness to the Jewish people. Here's a couple passages from Deuteronomy, as well as from John, that talk about the testimony of a witness. Deuteronomy 17, verse 6 says, At the mouth of two witnesses, or three witnesses, shall he that is worthy of death be put to death. But at the mouth of one witness, he shall not be put to death. The hands of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put him to death, and afterwards the hands of all the people. So shalt thou put the evil away from among you. Deuteronomy 17, verse 6 and 7. Then in chapter 19, verse 15, it says, One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin, in any sin that he sinneth. But at the mouth of two witnesses, or at the mouth of three witnesses, shall the matter be established. It was required in a court of law for judgment to be carried out to have more than one witness. John 8, 17, Jesus says, As it is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. Listen to what Jesus says to these Jewish religious leaders. In John chapter 5, verse 31 through 47. The first witness is John the Baptist. Verse 31, Jesus says, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Meaning, just having one person, it's not a valid witness. He says, There's another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. 
ye sent unto John, and he bare witness unto the truth, John the Baptist. But I received not testimony from man, but these things I say that ye might be saved. He was a burning and shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. The whole point of all this is that ye might be saved. It's here and now that we see Jesus' purpose and heart. This echoes what he told Nicodemus in John 3 about why he was come into the world to save. The second witness in verse 36 is the works of Jesus. But I have greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works I do. Bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. Jesus has just healed a man moments ago. He's trying to get them to realize who he is. And yet another reason for his healing and command to carry on the Sabbath is to have this very conversation with these Judean religious leaders. Then the third witness that Jesus speaks of is the Father. And the Father himself, verse verse 37, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. And ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent, ye believe not. You see, Jesus is driving home the point that he and the Father are intimately connected, and that he was sent from the Father. The fourth witness that Jesus gives is the scriptures itself in verses 39 through 44. Jesus says, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And you will not come to me that you might have life. I receive not honor from men, but I know you, that ye have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name... Him you will receive. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? See, here Jesus is calling them out for their fleshly sinful pride. He shows his messiahship and his omniscience, meaning he is all-knowing. He knows everything. He knows their hearts. And that if somebody else was going to come and claim to be the Messiah, they would accept that person because he was coming in his own name. This happened with a rabbi known as Menachem Schneerson, who was accepted by many of the Jewish people to be the Messiah, even though he did not fulfill the Messianic prophecies from the Old Testament, simply because he came in his own name, not in the name of God the Father. Then the fifth and final witness that Jesus gives them as a testimony to the truth of what he's saying is Moses in verse 45 through 47. Jesus says, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom you trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? Here's some examples of how Moses and the writings of Moses speak of Jesus the Messiah. In Luke 24, Jesus appears to some men after his resurrection, and it says, In beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Verse 44 of Luke 24, Jesus says unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you 
that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. In John 1.45, Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses gives a prophecy that there was going to come a prophet like unto Moses that the people would be accountable to listen to. This is speaking of the Messiah, Jesus himself. In Genesis chapter 3, in verse 15, there's a prophecy about one who would come that would bruise the serpent's head, the seed of the woman. That's Jesus. Also in Genesis, it talks about one known as Shiloh, the one who would be the, the ruler from the tribe of Judah that would bring peace. Jehovah who appeared to Abraham, the sacrifice God would provide on Moriah, the Passover lamb, the prophet that should come. He is the I am, the Elohim, the day of atonement. Jesus was certainly written about by Moses. I'm so glad you were able to join me in going through John chapter 5, and I look forward to our next episode where we dive into John chapter 6. Thank you so much for listening to the New to Jesus podcast. You can go to our website, newtojesus.com. That's new, the number two, jesus.com. If you'd like to find me on social media, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Daniel Bergman. 99. And if you'd like to rate and review this podcast on iTunes, that helps us to get in front of more people to help them take their first steps as new believers in Jesus.